I did not realize how many people from that I've met at random conferences mm-hmm. were going to be there. Like Alexa from Heritage. Oh my gosh, you know I Alexa? Saw her. Yes, I met her at when I was still at TBPF. I got sent to Resource Bank that oh, yeah. Heritage held, and I met her there. And she had just been moving from was she at Research RNC? Uh, she was at RSC. RSC. She still so she was at research. She was at RSC at the time, but had been interviewing with Heritage, and so that's where I met her. And How then cool. I saw her at your wedding, and we were like, "What?" Uh, okay, ladies, welcome back to the Sweet Tea series. I am joined by the lovely Sierra Hall. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? So great. How are you post-session slash not post-session? Yeah, we are making it. We're um, just out of our fourth special session, so it's been a bit of a learning curve um, and uh, trying to get back out in the district with my boss and meet all all of the constituents that I've kind of talked to over the phone the last Mm -hmm. year but haven't gotten to meet in person, so... Learning the new district. Yeah. yeah, So tell us, tell the audience like what you do. Yes. So I'm the chief of staff for state representative Ellen Troxclair, former TPPFer as well. And she represents House District 19. So we have a good western part of Travis County. And then we have Burnett, Blinko, Kendall, and Gillespie. So is that like hill country? It is. It's very hill country. So we have up to Fredericksburg and we have down to Bernie. We have a great little town um, in Blinko called Johnson City. And then we go. Okay, wait, Johnson City. I have driven through that and it is the cutest looking town. I legitimately want to go. I've been wanting to go back and visit it. You need to go back during Christmas because it's all decorated for Christmas because they're just a little town and so their whole main street has all of the lights i was actually just there with ellen on wednesday what's today yeah wednesday and uh, um, it's all decorated for christmas it's super great and then right above that we also go up to the marble falls area so it's a lot of hill country and um you know we're just learning uh the whole district she spent a lot of time out there on the campaign trail getting her first election I came on with her later, so I'm learning the district. Mm -hmm. And then we've spent the last year in session working on some really important stuff, but been a little more chained to the Capitol than I think we imagined we were going to be going into January. I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah. it's been it's been a pretty wild ride. So for our audience that doesn't understand how session works in Texas, Mm -hmm. can you kind of give us a general overview? Sure. So we are a part-time legislature. We are in for 140 days every odd number year. So it's there's a lot of parliamentary procedure that we vote on. They vote on at the very beginning of session in the House admin hearings and things like that. And uh, that's when you start to file bills. So member, members will file bills. They'll be assigned to committees and those bills will go through those committee hearings. And so you'll have the committee hearings and they'll just sort of keep moving through the process. So you have an open hearing where any of your constituents or anyone across Texas that the issue matters to can come and testify in support or testify against if that's where they're at or neutral. Um, We have a lot of uh, resource witnesses too that I think people get confused on when they come in. Those are the people from the agencies who give us expert testimony Mm -hmm. to tell us how this could really impact Texas. And uh, So you sort of move through that process. It gets voted out of committee, and then you see it go on the House floor where it goes through first, second, and third reading, and uh, you uh, the members end up voting on it, and then it goes over to the Senate, 
It goes through the same process in the Senate. It's heard in committee. There's normally a senator who sponsors a bill. Unless there's a companion, they can kind of meet in the middle. And then it goes back to the Senate floor. It's voted on. And if there's changes, there can be a conference committee or you can confer and then you move forward and so on and so forth. And so this session, I think there was around 8,000 bills total filed, oh which was the most ever in 8, history. 8,000. And you guys only meet every other year. Every other year. For 140 days. Yes. And there's very strict time restraints on in the process when a bill is allowed to be heard or how long you have to wait after you introduce a bill to be heard and things like that, that slowed, slow down the process, but they're there intentionally. It's there to make sure that we're creating the best policy that there is in for the state of Texas. Yeah. Wow. That is just so different because, you know, people know, like I worked in DC and that is not how our federal government functions. And so when I came back to Texas, I was like, oh, you guys only work every other year, only for 140 days. But then you see it's almost like everything's compressed. It's like things seem to be so much more intense during those 140 days. Yes. And so in between the time of meeting and session, I mean, we're still, we're developing bills and legislative priorities and policy throughout that time. The Speaker's Office charges the committees with interim hearings and interim studies on policies or topics that might have happened during session, but we need to see the impact of it. There are study bills that pass that we follow up on to see if legislative fixes are needed. Mm -hmm. Um, And then things unfold as the year and a half that we're not in session goes on that we start to develop policy and have meetings on to create this. But it is just so compressed. And then a lot of them don't make it through. I don't know if even 3,000 out of the 8,000 bills filed past this session. And so it's a, it's a it takes a long time. I know that there's been people and members who have filed bills for three or four sessions. That's six to eight years before the bill is yeah. ready to be passed mm-hmm. and uh, has come to a deal or something. So Yeah, that's it's a lot. Yes. I mean, like, it sounds like when you get a bill passed over there, like, you guys should have a celebration because <laughs> it seems like a lot of work. Yeah. So it's a full-time job for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, for your boss, is it her full-time job or is this something that she does seasonally? So this is supposed to be a part-time job. They um, are only paid $7,200 a year to do this. So it is not a full-time job at all. Wow. And that was the way it was intended. It was intended... So that these members who are part of their community and have the community's best interest in heart are the ones making these policies or these legislative changes in the state of Texas, because they're the ones who are in the community living there day after day and meeting these people who need their help. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Is that how it functions in every state or is that unique to Texas? Texas is very unique in that. I'm not sure that there's another state who does this this way. Um, I know Florida is a bit of a part-time legislature, but I'm not sure how much their members are paid to do that either. I've stayed very much in Texas, born and raised here, so it's. I'm not sure how many states do it, but I know that Texas is very unique in the fact that we only meet every other year and um, that it's genuinely meant to be a part-time job. Oh, as if I couldn't love Texas anymore. And then you go and tell me that, and I'm like, I knew this was the best state. Like, I knew in my gut, and this just (laughs) re-solidifies it. So tell us, how did you get to where you are now? You know, this is a question we always ask 
And it's so fun to hear what people's stories are because sometimes it's sparked in childhood. Sometimes it's sparked from like a family member, generations before them. And other times it's just they kind of fell into it. They're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I ended up here, but here I am. What's your story? That one. A (laughs) hundred percent. This was pure accident. I really don't know how this happened. Um, to go in a roundabout way, uh, my I have a very large family. I have four brothers and sisters, one brother, three sisters, four sisters. Um, and uh, they all of my older siblings were involved in FFA in high school. And so Future Farmers of America. Yes. And so technically, that's not what it stands for anymore. But they do their whole own thing. They're, it they're, changed. It, it did. Uh, when I was still in college, it changed. They just dropped the Future Farmers of America. I can't remember why, but it's just FFA. For oh, some reason. it's just letters. They it's don't... just letters. Huh. Yeah. I don't know why. I should have looked, checked up on that before. But um, <laughs> they, so they were all in FFA, all raised animals. Um, my oldest two were officers in their chapter. And uh, we just, that was a part of my life. And my oldest sister and my brother are 13 and 14 years older than me. So I grew up going to the ag barn with them going to the meetings with them, going with my mom to the booster club meetings, things like that. And when I got to high school, it was exactly what I wanted to do too. The first thing I did was I joined FFA and I raised a goat. Cute. I raised a goat and I joined the meat judging team. <laughs> the meat judging team. The meat team. judging team. Not the animal, the meat no, judging. No, meat judging. And so <laughs> I joined the meat judging team. I did that my first year. And then at the end of that year, I ran for reporter on the t- the officer team and I got that and so I ran for reporter and then that summer I worked with my ag and livestock teacher a lot to join what we call they call an LDE which is just like a leadership development event and so we have all these contests and so those are speaking engagements so I joined one called radio broadcasting where we developed our own radio script oh and would be behind a curtain with microphones just like these and giving our radio script that we practiced and practiced and um, so I did that a lot, and I also tried out extemporaneous speaking. So I think that that's what really brought me out of my shell mm-hmm. and taught me that it's okay if you put yourself out there and you're not the best at it. You yeah. can The people you get to meet and the things you get to learn from it are what's important. Sounds like you had a really safe place to learn because you had yes. a safe place to fail. Yes, I agree with that 100%. I had really amazing teachers. And so that was my junior year of high school that I started to really get into the leadership development events. And uh, then my senior year, at the end of my junior year, I ran for president of my wow. chapter. And I ended up getting that, putting myself out there even more. Oh, my gosh. It's awesome. Still raising my goats. I, <laughs> I had two more goats in that time. And so showing animals, um, doing what we call jackpot shows, which were like just weekend, little weekend county shows that kids from all sorts of districts would go to. And so you're meeting people from all over the state. You're going to these LDE competitions at colleges, the CDE competitions at colleges and in different counties and seeing different parts of the state. And uh, so my senior year, I went and did my meat judging competition. <laughs> meat at, judging. I can't. Every I time know, you say it, I'm like, meat it's judging. It's strange. <laughs> it's strange. It doesn't sound normal. Um, and I'm not sure that it was. We were in a freezer for four hours just judging meat carcasses. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. No, it's, it's literally like a carcass or cuts of meat. And you judged it and you like had to say which cut of meat it was and wow. like yes it's very interesting i recommend looking into it now i know what a perfect steak looks like when i'm buying one at the hey, store yeah that's a good skill it yes. has so um, 
Um, I started, I went my senior year to the meat judging competition at Tarleton State University, where my agriculture teacher actually went. And so I had heard about it a lot. And I didn't actually visit the campus. I visited their farm, which was off campus. And I went there. And then it came time to apply for colleges. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to Tarleton. And I applied and I got in and I went. And um, it was the best decision I ever made. And I went to Tarleton and I studied agricultural communications. Look at you. I had really great professors at Tarleton who they believed a lot in what I feel like was the hands-on experience. They gave us a lot of projects. It was a lot of working together in teams and building things. We would build business proposals and marketing plans. We uh, were doing graphic design on computers and we were learning how to take pictures in the ag realm that wouldn't get attacked, I guess, because in that, in that time and space, the ag industry was one of the most controversial. Oh, that makes it like, because like what? Because like people were like, like PETA and uh, uh, people who they were doing like fake stints. They were going into farms and uh, getting people hired into farms and killing animals and videoing them and putting them out saying that this is what these people do. But it was all these fake things. It was a, it was a phenomenon going on for a little while there. It's so wild. In like the 2019 year. Um, and so we were, anyways, worked, <laughs> worked at Tarleton and learned a lot there. And uh, I, in my major, I was required to have an internship to graduate. And it just so happened that it felt on an odd number. It fell on an odd number year, which the state legislature does as well. And my uh, pre- our president's office at Tarleton offered a legislative internship to represent the university up at the Capitol for a semester. And so I applied and uh, was one of three who got it and got to go in the 87th legislature and intern for State Representative Dwayne Burns. Look at that. That's who, so cool. Yeah. And he just so happened to get chairman of the Ag and Livestock Committee that session. And so I got to work on this policy area that kind of brought me into this world and really run with it. And I was very lucky that him and his staff, they put a lot of trust in me to let me learn. And uh, it was a great opportunity. And then I came and worked at TBPF. Woo! Yes. (laughs) That's where we met. (laughs) That is where we met. (laughs) I was a legislative fellow here with three other people who had been working at the Capitol. And we just kind of kept going. And I got to learn a lot here, researching and working on with all different campaigns. And it really brought me to where I am today. It's how I met my boss. She was a former TPPFer. Mm-hmm. And um, I was really lucky that a lot of people here at TPPF believed in me and let me run with whatever ideas I came up with and ended up where I am at now in a very short period of time. I love that story. I love that you are born and raised Texan. You were yes. born and raised Texan, but that you were part of FFA because like I wanted to be a part of those groups i actually wanted to be more part of 4-h yes which is the horse version they're very similar yeah i don't really understand the difference other than like one is horse and one is not so ffa is where it's more it's like it's a cte program through a school and ffa or 4-h is where it's like through the county so they do a lot of the same things Mm -hmm. They're very similar. They go along the same path. You really run into a lot of people who do both. Mm -hmm. But 4-H is ran through the county. And they do have a lot more, like, they do a lot more with horses. But they do the exact same, like, showing animals and uh, judging competitions. They have a lot of the same judging competitions. They have the same national convention, state convention type stuff. So Can you be in both? Yeah, yeah, you can. Okay. I just wasn't. We didn't have a big 4-H. I 
grew up in Houston and in the suburbs of Houston called Cypress, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so there wasn't a big 4-H group in Cypress because we were very suburban. So got it. That makes sense. Um, So it sounds like you enjoy your role right now being chief of staff for Ellen Troxclair. Did you enjoy working under her during this session? Yeah, absolutely. She herself was a staffer for 10 years, a former chief of staff for another TPPF for representative Jason Isaac. Guys, if you're not convinced to work at TPPF after listening to these podcasts, like, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what will convince you because <laughs> it's a it's a great community. But so she was a former staffer herself. And so I feel like I really got to learn a lot from her. And we worked together really well. We're an all girls team over there. Hey, that's yes. cool. And so it really worked out great. And we were able to learn a lot from each other. And it was her first session. So even though she was a staffer, there was a lot for her to learn as well. And I feel like since she had been in my shoes before, she really trusted me and that got us off to a great foot and we were able to run with it. That's amazing. So yeah. speaking of like well, one all girls team, boss ladies, I love that it was organic. It sounds like too, that it just it happened that she's not like, she's like, I need to go through and pick an all female staff to make a point. It's like, she just picked the best of the best and you guys all happen to be ladies. And Yeah, you're right. Our communications director actually worked with her at city council. So they've been working together for years and years. And so they were they were looking for someone and I had met her a few months ago, a few maybe a year before that at a TBPF event and things just kind of fell into place. We got lunch and it was great and we just went from there. I love it. Yeah. So speaking of like total boss ladies, have you seen the newest Hunger Games. No. I knew you weren't going to. I haven't. So I did not know that this existed until my now brother-in-law, who's in college, was like, oh, me and all my friends are going to go see like the new Hunger Games. I was like, the new Hunger Games? Yeah. Like, did I miss something? The song and ballads thing? Yeah. Or Snake, uh, the ballad of songbirds and snakes. Okay. So I saw it the night before last, last night, night before last, night before last. And? And it was exceptional really it was okay like you should totally go see it there's so many little nuggets did you watch okay. the other movies i did i'm a big katniss pita fan so yeah. i i was like i don't want to go and it ruin it yeah. but i never read the book so i feel like i knew the movie like the movies were kind of okay you answered so. my next question so you didn't yeah. read any of the books of like no. the hunger games you just watched the movies yeah because those i feel like got really popular and i was in like seventh grade that yeah. makes sense because i was in junior high going in part of high school and yeah. i was really into them read them a lot i remember going to like you know how they had the book fairs yes i remember going being like oh the hunger gains book i had to bite and i read it so fast and i felt so smart i was like i read this book in one week oh which just gosh. felt so cool to me yeah so would, would you say that like the books and the movies are similar or did they leave a lot out great question so i am of the belief system that you shouldn't compare gen- genres of art to okay. each other and so i never like to compare movies to books and treat them as equals i think that movies convey things in a way that books convey differently and so books can feel so much deeper and richer because you can write as long of a book as you want you know and you can express the feelings accurately versus like movies they have to be conveyed through the actor then through the director then with like the screen at large and the context and the setting and so regardless I loved the movies. I love the books. I am such a fangirl of Katniss Everdeen. Yes. Okay. I have to go now. You've convinced me. Yeah. So 
With Katniss, what do you think of like the females in movies like this? Do you think they're good role models? Do you think they're conveying the right message? So I would in the original Hunger Games, since I have seen those, I don't know what the new one is like, but I would say at that point in time, I did think it was I would look back and be like, yeah, Katniss was someone who like made me feel something like I could do more and be more because she went and fought and never Mm -hmm. questioned it. And uh, family and siblings are also something that's really important to me. And so every time she goes and she like sacrifices what she doesn't know if will be her life or not for Mm -hmm. her sister, I think that's a very important message that family is a driving pillar and should be in your life. And uh, so I think that in that one particularly, I think there was a good message there. And in surrounding ones like that, like I think I feel like Divergent at the time, too, was that one was, another yeah. one that was a really big kind of female uh, role model making her way through. Um, and even then, too, like her family was at the top pillar of her mind, even when they were supposed to be like faction over family and mm-hmm. what it was. She still, when she found out things were going bad, still went against those rules and tried to go warn her brother. Yeah. And uh, I think so in those movies at that point in time, I feel like there was a good message there and like having your families back and being with people who uh, share those same values and will stick up for you just like you'll stick up for them. So well said. You clearly did a bunch of speaking engagements in high school. (laughs) I peaked in high school. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. I totally agree with everything you said about her. I remember feeling super empowered as well. And, you know, later in life, I learned that I was an Enneagram One. Okay. Which is like the reformer. Yeah. Like the moral perfectionist. And I, I wanted to join the military when I was younger. And I just felt so like... I don't know. I just remember that feeling where it's like, yes, I want to do that. I want to stand up for something and fight for something and go all in on something. And it was just so cool to see, you know, a chick on the big screen doing that. And, you know, it's before and she's beautiful. And um, it's like before all that woke stuff seeped in, I feel like Katniss really had all the pre-woke character of a female that you would want to see. Yeah. And, you know, I just think if they film that in 2020 or 2022 what would it have been it would have been so different what kind of 100%. agendas would they try to shove in there how would they have changed her character yeah. to fit their viewpoint and so i feel like a good reference to that is um one of the uh fantastic beasts and where to find them um i haven't seen it Okay, so it's like the prequel but spinoff to Harry Potter, and there's a lot of characters in there, like women characters who in the books are described a very specific way, or I don't even know if they're actually, if there's books about them, but I feel like you could see where there were things that didn't necessarily make sense for the time period that it was filmed in. Mm-hmm. It's like history does exist. Those time periods were there, and... Uh, it's okay if things depict history for what it was. Yeah. And in there, I feel like that's just kind of like what you were saying of how different would it have been 
even in time periods and historical depictions. I think that is a little bit different, though, maybe like the Hunger Games one, because that is total fantasy. Like it's dystopian. Yeah. But like even then, it's like it was written at a time where I don't feel like the woke agenda was yes. like ripping down the shreds of yeah. like the the shreds of like what it is to be feminine. Yeah, and, and it strong. was like it was fine. Like you could be a woman and you mm -hmm. could be proud of that because we've spent years and centuries fighting to just be a woman and not be lesser than and not be a minority. And uh, that's in that time period, I feel like what that was really saying was that there isn't a a separation of that. And then now we've moved into it where do women even exist? I, yes. <laughs> there you go. And yeah, I just worry. It's like, did you ever see Mulan, like the new one? Yes, I did. I haven't. Was her character... What was her character portrayed as? Like, was she just normal Mulan or did yeah. they like alter her a little bit? No, I think so. I think it, it was actually a very accurate description of what it was supposed to be. And I think that was the last one, the last live action that actually took off because it was such along the lines of the story. It was very interesting because there wasn't like a lot of the she didn't do the musical part of it, which I think that was nice. Like they let her be a warrior. May I need to go back and, and yeah. watch that then because I heard I haven't rumors watched it in a while, but yeah, I want I like I want to watch it because I remember loving like Mulan as a kid. Yeah. I mean, I loved all of the movies so much, especially Pocahontas, um, Colors of the Wind. Yes, mm. and just you know, she like has that fighter spirit yes. in her, which is so awesome. But with Mulan, I remember like hesitating to go see it because someone was like, "Oh, they're making your character a lesbian and all this sort of stuff," and it was just kind of frustrating that. to me because I was like, obviously it didn't happen, and but I was just kind of annoyed at the time because I was like, "Why does a strong female have to like make her a lesbian? Like, why? Yeah. Like, why can't she just be a strong, beautiful woman?" Which is what Katniss Everdeen was, and so. When you go see the new one, the heroine in that, I think, really exemplifies really the Southern charm version okay. of Katniss. And she's still a strong lead. There's no, like, I didn't see any woke agendas in it. I felt, like, really refreshed of, like, wow, like, this is that strong female heroine that we've been looking for. Yeah. Or at least I've been looking for in movies for a couple years now since we've had that, like, big gap. And um, she has this beautiful, like, it says the ballad, right? The ballad of songbirds and snakes. And she has this, like, which I did not expect because I didn't do any research going to see this film. She has like this, she's a country singer, basically. Oh. Like a little folk singer. Okay. And she has this stunning voice. And like, I legitimately want to go and like listen to her songs again because it just has this like, you want to do a little two-step yeah. with it. Which again, in a dystopian film, it's fun to see Southern elements yes. kind of feed into that. Like, it's not so dystopian that there's nothing to identify with. It's like, as a Texan, I was like, love her, love this. This is so great. Can this be the whole movie? Yes, <laughs> literally. Um, yeah, so it was it was really good. Highly, highly recommend. I'm going to have to um, go see it. Yeah, yeah, definitely go see yeah. it. So shifting more into the policy pulse, I came up with some questions that I'd love to ask you. Okay. <laughs> this is when you're like, all right, I'm in the hot seat of it. Here we go. <laughs> um, so as someone deeply, as someone who is deeply involved in election integrity efforts in Texas, what are some of the challenges you perceive and what reforms or improvements do you believe should be made? Because I know you didn't mention this beforehand, but you had worked um, with the secretary. Yes, the, the secretary of state. I did. I did a little stint over there um, 
That is a hard question. Specifically with electric protection under yes. that realm, right? Yeah. Um, so I got brought over there. I got poached from TPPF by a <laughs> TPPFer. <laughs> um, he got started. He got pulled over there to start the election audit division. And I was his first or second hire over there. And so I went over there in a research role just to really kind of understand the code and understand what was going on and happening in that time. Um, and so it was a very unique position. It was something that was brand new. There was really nothing to go off of. Um, Why did it start? Did like How did this come to fruition? The 2020 election and uh, all of the um, kind of fraud and this and that was everywhere. And so no, it, no one really knew. There was a lot of distrust. And so it got started because people like the legislature saw it fit to go into counties in Texas and kind of come out with this report. So we could restore some faith in election in our election system. We have a very great election system in the state of Texas. It's been worked on for years. And um, I think that that was just an added level mm -hmm. to society that society needed at that time. There's a lot of things going on um, that I did. I don't know if, you know, people just weren't comfortable. And so no, that makes sense. Like 2020, like, yeah. No one's ever going to forget like that no. that craziness. No. And so um, we did a lot there, but I that is a really hard question. I think, um, you know, coming off of session, they did a couple of things during session that I think we're going to have to see how it goes. We have officially, the state of Texas has officially left the ERIC system, which I can't go into too much detail about. I don't know too much about it, but I know that it's a national system that a lot of states opt into, and it's supposed to provide a lot of data, but you also provide data. And so it hasn't apparently been very helpful or successful in the past. How does that relate to election protection? We just opted out of it. Yeah, we just opted out of it. So we no longer provide data to them mm -hmm. and we no longer receive their data. And so there's a lot of people who don't believe in the ERIC system either. And like that's where a lot of the fraud comes from and things like that. So we'll see how that goes. We're going to be making our own system now, I think, as a state. And um, there's also, you know, the the state or Harris County is obviously a big deal when it comes to elections here. And wait, hey, tell the audience why Harris County there. You know, that's where I think in Texas, the root of the fraud allegations came from. There was a lot of things that were not making sense, maybe missing, um, polling places were closed that weren't supposed to be, they were running out of paper. It was just, it was really bad in 2020. But I think that what we found is that it was a presidential year that they just weren't prepared for. And it was um, at that time under the tax assessor collector in uh, Harris County, which is rare. And so they made an elections administrator office after that. And they had about one term and like a few elections to try and fix some things. And it did not get better. Mm. So they have now put it. They also changed where that went. I didn't get to follow along to that too closely because my boss was on completely different policy committee areas. Um, so that was something that I know that the legislature ended up changing again because it got even worse than it was under the tax assessor collector's office. So I think that now they've made quite a few changes this session that obviously just got implemented September 1st that we're going to see 
how it's going now. Yeah. Test the water. It's actually kind of cool that they take a gap in um, in the legislature, yeah. and, like with the sessions, because it kind of gives you a chance to evaluate. Yes. Which, you know, at least at the federal level, like I don't see a lot of evaluation going on except when it comes time to vote someone in. So sure. and even then it's like you know, based more on speeches and the perceived voting record mm-hmm. or like the perceived changes that the voting record made. So it's kind of cool that we take a gap. Yeah, we assess. call it the Wild West. It's just you see what happens. I mean, and I think that you're right about how it is. I think it's a necessary evil, some would say. I think it's not an evil at all, but a lot of people have feelings about it. Um, but I think you're exactly on the right track in that it allows us to have that time to see how these actually affect the state. We can Mm -hmm. guess all we want, but until it's right there in front of your face, you're not going to know for sure. So it allows you to kind of move with the times and uh, go with the growing state. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great response. So my second question is, could you share a specific accomplishment or project from your time with Ellen Troxclair that you are particularly proud of and that has had a positive impact on Texas? Oh, man. Some bragging time. To think about that. The other option is, like, what initiatives do you think you guys are going to be addressing in the future? Okay. I think that, okay, going back to the first question, um, something that I've been really proud of to work on with Ellen, it's not something that she specifically did herself, but she is on the Homeland Security and Public Safety Committee. And she, with the way that the border has been abandoned by the Biden administration and has been left to the state of Texas, I don't think I have seen many people take it as seriously as she has. She has completely thrown herself into that issue. And so being able to be her right hand on helping her get down to the border and make sure she's she's seeing the true facts, meet with DPS, meet with troopers who have been on the border, meeting with um, Colonel McCraw and making sure we have all of these facts and going to every committee hearing. And yes, just genuinely making sure that we're staying on top of something that we have sort of been charged with in the state of Texas. And that means a lot to all of the people in the state of Texas and including our constituents in HD 19, but just really um, making sure that we're as informed as we can be and should be and that we're doing the right thing. So I think that's something I've been really proud of to work on is we were given uh, an opportunity to uh, work on the border, one of the biggest issues in the state of Texas right now, and we're not taking it for granted. No, I that's that's a great accomplishment. I mean, border security is always top of mind here in Texas. Yes. It gets very easily forgotten, I think, across the country, except when things get really bad. Mm-hmm. And especially now with all the fentanyl overdoses yes. and pouring through the border, it's like we're finally getting the attention here that I think we deserve. And I mean, this is a national issue. And I just really love that Texas takes up the burden of making sure, obviously we're affected first, Mm -hmm. but we're not the only ones affected. Mm -hmm. And so I know that like so many different like nonprofits are government, the Texas government, you know, nonprofit, do you say nonprofits? Yeah. We're all private entities. We're all doing our best to try to solve that problem because no one has been benefiting from it. No. And everyone is hurting from it. Yes. And just seeing the way that 
the communities on the border are being destroyed by it. When there was that massive, that first initial migrant wave in Del Rio, it cleared their grocery stores. They had nowhere to go. They had no food to buy. They had no water. It was destroying things. And so for that to be ignored by the rest of the country and by a lot of other people in power in the state of Texas was uh, something that wasn't ignored by myself. I was here at TPPF doing that research um, and uh, all of the human trafficking that comes with it too, which is so devastating. Oh my goodness. Yes. Devastating. Like labor trafficking, sex Mm -hmm. trafficking. It's just, it's terrifying. And it's not just here in Texas. Like they get pulled all across the country. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's like, even it's not just the border communities either. Like how it's not just the state of Texas, it's San Antonio, it's Austin, it's Houston, it's Dallas, it's Lubbock. It like, it's all over the state, which our state is bigger than most and goes quite up to the middle of the country. If it's reaching up to the tip top of our state, it is going to the rest of the country as Mm -hmm. well. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, Let's shift over to our conservative council. So this okay. is where girls in the audience and even some here in the office will write in questions that they want to ask you specifically Fun. and oh. get your wisdom and insight. Okay. So this one says, as a young professional interested in policy, what networking tips do you have for someone looking to build connections in this industry of policy and create opportunities for career growth? Yeah. So I think that there are a lot of opportunities around the capital and around the state that you should just take people. You can, it can be really scary to, especially if you're not already like in the realm of it mm-hmm. to not want to go because you're not sure if you're going to meet people or you're not sure if you're going to know the policy area or stuff like that. There's a lot of opportunity for growth. There's, um, you know, different conferences. That was a main thing I think that got me thrown into this was I, every time I had an opportunity to go to a conference, whether or not it was something for I'd never heard of Mm -hmm. or with people I was going to know absolutely no one with, I still went. I got to go to Policy Circle in Florida. I've gotten to go to Resource Bank and uh, that one was in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, I've gotten to visit with people from Heritage, but I think really finding those places where it is about some you're going to learn you're going to be able to learn by going to conferences and doing that and with those comes the sort of networking events that is a brilliant answer yeah. and that's not one that i was expecting you to say really yeah that's really good thank you i mean like going to these different conferences yeah. and just like googling what you know conferences are in my area and just showing up like you really know you never know who you're going to meet and all conferences have that kind of networking hour or you yes. know whatever it is they have like a dinner or a welcome party something like that and so I just would, we would get emails about them or I would see them on social media or just being advertised. And I would go to my boss here and be like, hey, can I go to this? And they were like, yeah, great idea. Let's go. Why not? You know, go to TP, like just represent TPPF and um, you can have this opportunity for personal growth and development. And that was something that really helped me. Um, I had a lot of great people here who believed in me and helped me push forward for that. I love it. Yeah. It sounds like you, again, take a lot of initiative. Yeah, I think I think there's a piece of that as well. I, I feel like that is something that I really wanted to pride myself on is not missing an opportunity that's been given. If it's given to you, 
it, that's a humbling experience to like be trusted with that or to have someone think of you in a way that they would want you in that room. And so I just always wanted to put myself in the room. And uh, if I was given this opportunity, it's kind of like, what are you throwing away and what do you have to lose? Wow. That is so good. That is like fantastic advice. Thank you. Um, second question. So this one's for the younger girls. Transitioning from the academic setting to the professional world can be very challenging. What are some lessons you learned during your early years that you wish that you had known earlier? Some wisdom you want to pass on to these ladies? Oh my gosh. That is such a good question. Um, I feel like I was I had I was very lucky. I had a very unique experience um, growing up with so many sisters, and then going to college and joining a sorority and having community there as well. When I came to Austin after college, I knew nobody, and so it was. I feel like I didn't make the initiative at first when I was here for my internship for session to find a community and find people that I could just go get coffee with or go get breakfast with and things like that. Because you really do just need to step out sometimes and mm -hmm. not talk about work or, you know, just talk about your family and things like that. And uh, so what I regret not doing, I guess, would be taking the initiative to find community. Mm -hmm. And so I think the reason I didn't do that is because I wasn't sure if I was going to stay. I never really had plans to stay. I was like going to go do marketing for an ag business somewhere. And when I did get the job here at TBPF and came, that was the one of the first things I did. And it was so easy to do. And now that was over two years ago. And I have met the most amazing people. I have my five best friends in the entire world that I met here at TPPF. And oh. none of us work here anymore. And we're still always seeing each other and together. And I still get to call someone like you a friend. And um, just getting to do that, I think it's community for sure. Because unless you plant yourself somewhere, I feel like you're not going to throw yourself fully in. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Like if you're going to start somewhere, it sounds like you're saying like just commit to making friendships wherever you yes. are to building that network. And yeah, having people you can trust is huge, especially if you're in a new city or where some like someplace you don't have family right nearby. Um, being able to just have people to lean on and making it not so scary is I think the number one thing that anyone can do. And wherever you find that in whatever works for you, that's what you should do. Oh, that is fantastic advice. Wow. I cannot wait to see what you say for the third question, oh, <laughs> just because your responses have been so good. Oh, um, so many young professionals are eager to make a positive impact in their early years. Like we're talking about like Katniss and you and I are clearly so passionate about trying to make a difference. So like we definitely fall into this category, especially in our early years. So what would you recommend to someone starting out to effectively contribute in a meaningful way to uh, specifically policy changes or reform? Okay. I think that there you have to not be scared of trial and error. There are a, a lot of people. I would say myself as well. You wouldn't be surprised to know I'm an Enneagram 3. I am quite the perfectionist and I would get really caught up in if something would go wrong, fixing it as soon as I can instead of learning from what went wrong and proceeding that way and just not doing it again. And so I think that trying everything that you can find is the number one thing you can do because you have to 
you're not going to find something right away. It's There's a reason why we're young and in our 20s and have all of the time in the world. It's to truly find what maybe sparks your soul or what you're you want to, at the end of the day, when you go home, be really proud of, Mm -hmm. you have to not be scared to fail. And so I would say that going and trying all of these things, I worked on four different policy areas at TPPF and then went and worked on another, a fifth one at the Secretary of State. And now coming full circle, um, agriculture is obviously something that's really important to me. And I feel like I'll always kind of gravitate back towards that. But I found new passions and new things that ignite my soul in, you know, anti-human trafficking efforts and uh, um, just making Texas a better place that I want to raise children in and things like that. And so I know that was a really long-winded answer for a very short question, but I think that um, kind of looping back to what I said earlier, taking every opportunity that presents itself and not being afraid to fall on your face because everyone does it. And I've done it. I'm proud to say that I've done it because it's brought me to where I'm at now. And I hope I do it again so I can continue to keep learning and just wanting to grow as a person. That's really cool, especially if you're an Enneagram 3. That can be really, really hard. I'm an Enneagram wing 2, so I have like that empath where I'm like, it's okay, Sierra. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we need to have a whole segment here where we talk about the Enneagram and we break everything down. Let me tell you, Ellen Troxclair, she is an Enneagram guru. Really? That is... That is very important to her. Yes. Oh, that makes me so happy. That was one of the first things she made me do was take the Enneagram test. I hadn't Stop. taken it before. She made our whole team take it. And I don't regret it. It made us learn a lot about each other and how we can like better work together. And uh, it was it was a great idea. Oh, my gosh. I love the Enneagram. I love it so much that like yeah. it will come up in every conversation to the point where my now husband is like yeah. enough with the Enneagram. Like, <laughs> Stop bringing up the Enneagram. You what can't Enneagram bring that is Brian? <laughs> He's a five. Okay. One I don't of, feel like you meet many fives. You don't. They're yeah. very rare. Um, okay. Fun fact, they're the least likely to get married. But he did it. It took him a while, It though. took him it did take a solid, a like, what, five years? Yeah. <laughs> but he did it. But he did it. Applause. Yeah, he's, a, he's definitely a five through yeah. and through. That's like the Elon Musks of the world. So Okay. I always say they're rare birds because you don't need many of them because they're just that smart and that right. intelligent. And that's Brian. And that's Brian. <laughs> yes, we all love to hang out with Brian. We do. Me and Sierra and Brian time. hang out a lot. Yeah. It's great. It's been great. We, we need watched to hang Formula One races. Yeah. We drink champagne on the roof. <laughs> yeah. We've gone to tree lightings. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right up here. Well, it's been so fun to have you on Thank the you. pod. You have been amazing. Thank you for all your advice and sharing your story. You are so well-spoken. Thank you. Uh, moms out there, I think you need to get your kids into FFA. Because, I agree. Like, this I is... wish that the state of Texas could mandate that one agriculture class is required for every high school student. I I would have loved that. I just think it puts everyone on a trajectory of life that they may not have thought of in the first place. Wow, that's so good. I cannot wait to see where you end up. This is going to be so fun. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me and for thinking of me and bringing me on. I'm honored. Of course. So if people want to get in touch with you or like ask you more questions or get to know what, you know, policy issues you work on, where can they find you? Yeah, so um, I do have an Instagram. It's pretty private. I try. I'm trying to stay very focused. I feel like social media can be a huge distraction, but um, I'm up at the Capitol always. Doors always open. Working real hard for Representative Troxclair. I'm out and about in Austin and around. But my Instagram is Sierra underscore Lynn Zero. If anybody has any questions or. Um, you know, just anything like that. We'll tag you. Okay. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right, ladies, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We will see you next week. 